You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Well, good morning, Open Door. Um, you know, last week, well, last week uh, was beautiful. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> you're going to get another fire hose this morning, brother. It's the only way I know how to do it. Uh, I am thinking about the word here this morning and, and where we're going in the passage here this morning. Last week, I, I, I stood up. One of the things I shared with you last week is just as a short little introduction, because I hadn't been here in 10 years up here preaching, um, is that we were once sent out and blessed uh, to go, to do a work. Um, and it was a morning of, uh, of joy and, and tears. Uh, and so uh, witnessing the MacArthur's up here, who I don't know, um, uh, it, it, it reminded me, uh, reminded me of that, and reminded me as well of our work. And I said to you guys last week, uh, you, we, we've been sent out to do the work that God has for us to do, um, and we're doing that. But uh, we are one of you. We're we're part of this family. And so, the, what the Mark, MacArthur's expressed there a few minutes ago, even though they're leaving, they're still a part of you and all that stuff. I mean, that stuff is real, um, and and that ties into uh, the the main point uh, I was trying to make last week around the fact that we, we who belong to God belong to each other, okay? We who belong to God belong to each other, that we are individually members one of another, um, and the only debt that we owe, uh, and, and Paul talks about this later in Romans, in Romans 15, is, is to love one another. That's the debt we have to one another, if you would, uh, is to love one another, and everything uh, out of that passage last week was trying to describe what this love looks like lived out in the context of community, in the context of relationship, in context of the body. Uh, and and it, so it looks like, uh, love looks like with hope rejoicing. Love, uh, what does it look like with suffering? It looks like patience and endurance. What does look like, love look like with prayer? It, it, it's receiving and entering into the invitation of God to enter into His presence and to be with Him. Uh, that's what the Lord uh, has put before us, um, is what love looks like. And, and we're going to build on that some more here this morning as well. So let me, let me pray for the Word, and then we will enter into the fire hose of the Word again today. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts to receive your word that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I am going to read verses 13 through 15. Our God is sovereign. St. Paul to the church at Rome. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is the word of the Lord. Obviously, I'm struck (laughs) by uh, being here this morning and, and those words, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and I hate to do this to St. Paul, but uh, we're going to probably have to cut out <clears throat> much time to verses 13 and 14 um, and spend a fair amount of time this morning in verses in verse 15, which is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But let me say this, first of all. Um, let, me, let me give some application points. I never got to application really last week. I was trying to tore through that fire hose of Scripture. I wanted to say a few things application-wise, so I'm going to say those up front as a way to, to tie back some of what I unfolded last week and to put before us as we enter into some of these things this week, all right? So again, here's the thing. We belong to one another. The only debt that we owe to one another is to love. Out of the love that we have received from God Himself, to love one another. I've got Romans 15 Uh, open right here in front of me as well. I want to read this verse because let's have this at the front of our mind as we enter into these verses this morning. Romans 15 verse 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, show kindness to one another as Christ has shown kindness to you. Therefore, Show hospitality to one another as you have received of the hospitality of the Lord to the glory of God Almighty. That's what love looks like. Receiving of God, of His love, to be received into His family. (laughs) To, To be welcomed to His table because of what He has done. And that's what we have received of. So, some, some, some things for us to think about. First off, uh, let's be reminded, or let me remind us, that the New Testament, especially the, uh, the epistles, are written in the you plural. And, and it's good for us to remember that. We, we, we're very individually minded. Uh, we live in the most individualistic culture, maybe in the history of, of the world. Um, and it's really easy for us to get very individually focused on how do I apply these things into my life um, without remembering the bigger picture or the context, and the context is the body of Christ. These words um, were written to the church gathered together at Rome, and, and then if you would, the church universal, the church Catholic, and so as we think through how do I work these things out in my life, there's a context for that, that I'm individually members one of another. I have been joined to you as my brothers and sisters, Um, and so there is an application individually, but there is this application to the body as a whole. 
Think about spiritual gifts with me for just a second, which, which Paul refers to earlier in Romans chapter 12, and it says that there are different spiritual gifts that are given to the body. Not everyone has the gift of teaching. Not everyone has the gift of mercy. Not everyone has the gift of leadership and on. But we all together have been given these gifts to bless and serve one another. What are the purposes of the gifts? That the blessed to serve to love one another. As we think about love in some of these things, as we think about um, hoping, as we think about enduring, as we think about praying, as we think about what Paul says here in verse 13 about contributing to the needs of the saints, uh, living generously with our money and resources, the reality is we're all in different places in our spectrum with the journey of God. We're all in different places in terms of our maturity. And it's not even that, it's not just a unilateral sort of thing. Um, even for those of us who have been journeying with God together for a while, I may have reached a greater place of maturity in terms of things like prayer than in an area like generosity in my life. All these things are pictures of love. What does love look like in all these different areas? I shared with you last week, I feel like God's gifted me with the gift of endurance, of, of remaining under and suffering. Um, you, what, what that calls for us to do as we think about how we apply this out in our life is just to, through through faith, we, 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 we ask the Lord, we ask others to give us counsel. You know, where am I at in my life with this? How do I need to grow? And, and I may look at others in the body. So you use a common term in the body. You know, those people who are, are very much devoted to prayer, like one of the terms that we use in the body is like a prayer warrior. You guys have heard that, that terminology. Um, prayer is one of those things that can be elusive. Why I suggested the Psalms for us last week, but it seems to be elusive for, for, for many. And, and we look at those prayer warriors in, in the body and we go, man, I wish I could be more like them. And, and from a genuine place of desire, I'm affirming that, okay? Um, and so what we who are stronger in a particular area, we want to help out those who are weaker. We go to one who's learned and has entered into prayer and has made it a rhythm of their life, who's received of the invitation of the Lord consistently in their life. And hey, can I sit with you? Can I learn from you? Can I pray with you? Uh, and that's how we bless one another. And that's how we grow in these things. And that's how love spreads itself out within the body. None of us are Jesus. There's only one, one word made flesh perfectly, the incarnation. Jesus himself was the fullness of God, the fullness of deity in bodily form. But we now together are the body of Christ. Um, we who are imperfect human beings, but together God has gifted us. Together God has made us differently. We fit together as different parts of the body, and we help each other grow in those areas that we need to grow in. Some of us are more naturally and or supernaturally generous than others. Some of us hold on to money tighter than others. But as we, as we walk and journey with Jesus and we see the call of God on our life to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, ah, oh, Lord, how do I live a greater, how do I live more generously? How do I live more freer with my money? So allow God's truth of I who have received of the kindness of the Lord, I who have received of the hospitality of the Lord, how do I let that flow through me to others? with kindness and hospitality to others. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. We spend time with those. We learn from others. We, we bless and serve one another. So all these things we got to look at. We got to look at individually. We also look at them within the context of the body. But I would also suggest for us 
that we don't just look at the context of our own individual body. I pastor a small little church plant, St. George's Anglican Church. St. George's has strengths to it. St. George's has weaknesses to it. St. George's is a part of the greater body of Christ Catholic, a Christ universal, if you would, and so are you at Open Door. You guys have at Open Door gifts to bless and serve the greater body of Christ, Catholic, universal. And you guys have also weaknesses from which you need to receive from the greater church, Catholic, universal. We want to bless and we want to receive the blessing. We want to serve and love others, but we also want to be served and be loved by others so that we can learn, that we can grow. So it is applied individually. It's applied within the sense of our body together. And then it's applied out to the greater church as well. What is our place in the body of Christ? The church universal, the church Catholic. And we can work that way up. We can look at the church in the United States. We can look at the church in the world. And here's one of the realities of all of this. As we, again, we think through about blessing, we think about rejoicing and weeping. The reality is this. Something has happened in the last 20 to 30 years in the world, and most of us in the American church, and I'm not saying that about anybody sitting here, but I'm going to say most of us in the American church haven't quite grasped hold yet that the, the church in the West is dying and if not already dead. And when I say the West, I mean the United States, I mean Canada, I mean Western Europe, I mean Australia, I mean New Zealand. And it's disheartening when you take a look at. It is hard. The work we're doing now for the gospel, for the sake of gospel, to see people come to know and love Jesus in our own families, in our own relationships, in our own friendships, and in this secular society that we live in is really hard work because the West has abandoned God. And if we look strictly at that, it would be easy to be disheartened. But guess what? God is doing something. God is at work. The Spirit of God is moving in this world. The gospel is going forth. The Word of God shall not return void. And Christianity has shifted from being a religion associated with Western civilization, and it is now centered in the global south. There are more Christians in China than there are in the United States. There are more people worshiping in Chinese churches this morning than there are in the whole United States of America. Sub-Saharan Africa is now 50% Christian. Sub-Saharan Africa... They can't keep up with the spread of the gospel. Yes, it's not all rose-colored, but the gospel is moving forth, and people are getting saved, and the church and the kingdom of God is growing and expanding, and we have to learn from and rejoice with what God is doing in the world at large. And if we keep our eyes just focused on ourselves, whether it be our own individual life or what's happening at 19th Avenue and Butler or what's going on in the United States and the West, we lose sight of what God is doing in the entire world. And God is alive. And the gospel's going forth. And we rejoice with the going forth of the gospel throughout the world. And yet we also weep 
Because while the gospel is going forth at a greater pace than we've ever seen before in the global south, there are more Christians suffering and being martyred for their faith at this point in time than any other time in world history. And so we have to weep with those who weep. We have to come alongside and enter in. In churches in Nigeria where Boko Haram is coming in and killing everyone within a church. In Egypt, in the Middle East, there's so many places. All of that. How do we rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep? And, and, and not just in the context of my own little bubble, but yes, certainly within the context of the relationships that God has before me. But so much bigger than that, you guys. We are members one of another. We belong to each other, and that belonging is with all the saints, all the people of God, the saints who are gathered around the throne right now of God, continuously bowing before Jesus and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That great cloud of witnesses that is spurring us on at this very moment that has been since the beginning of time and will be until Jesus comes again. And we continue on into eternity, world without end, blessing and serving and praising the Lord God Almighty. We who have received of the hospitality of the Lord live out that hospitality to one another and to this world. That's... That's what's going on in this passage. I don't have time to talk about verse 13, which is about being generous. So skip over that. Let me just simply say, <sighs> unless you guys will be able to be really generous with your time. Uh, <laughs> let me just say this. Look, you guys, nothing reveals our hearts. It's not the only thing that reveals our hearts, but nothing reveals our hearts like money. Um, what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. No one can serve God and money. That's a whole nother sermon. Sit with that uh, for a little bit. We're called, to, we're called to allow everything that God has given to us to flow through to the very specific needs of each other. Um, I love the statement in here where it says, seek to show hospitality. Uh, uh, that word seek is, has the idea of pursuing uh, and so there's a very active piece that's in line here. Um, hospitality meant something very specific at the time of the church in, in, in the Roman Empire at the time of the first century. It's not like today, hey, if you're getting ready to go travel, uh, we're, we're taking a sabbatical. I'm taking a sabbatical finally after many, many years of, of uh, being engaged. And so I, my church is uh, giving me a sabbatical for three months, and we are, we're leaving Phoenix for the whole summer. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's the first time since like 92 or something like that. It's been a long time. But we're going to Scotland. We're going to Germany. Um, if you see me in a kilt and cowboy boot somewhere at some point in time. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <clears throat> but what do you do when you go travel now? Like, hey, I'm, I'm on Expedia. I'm on Hotels.com. Hotels I'm looking for a place to stay, right? It wasn't like that back then. There wasn't places to stay, you know, and they found themselves traveling to unknown cities. Rome, Rome was a huge city. 
And it wasn't like today uh, where we have street lights. It went dark at night. It was dark at night. And it wasn't a safe place to be. And so they'd go to the city square and hope <laughs> that someone might take them in. And so hospitality meant a very specific thing. He's actually saying, go into the town square, right? Go into the middle and, and, and find brothers and sisters there who need a place to stay. And actually bring them into your home. Give them a place to stay for the night. Feed them a meal. Real tangible stuff. That's hospitality. That's what hospitality looked like in that world. So if we just want to apply that, what does look, love look like with our monies and, re, and money and resources? We have, we have this generosity, um, and we actually go out and we're actually seeking, we're pursuing to do good to others. Um, we're inviting them into our homes. We're providing for them. That's what love looks like. I, I, ha, I have to move on. Um, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You might remember, if you were here last week, that I said there's only two commands in this entire passage. And I said, hey, look, there's only two direct explicit commands in this whole passage, and they're both found in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, which is don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And all that is true until we hit verse uh, 14 here. Because guess what? We got some commands again. Um, and these are direct commands. In fact, there's, there's two commands, and one of them is repeated. Bless... Bless, repeated twice, in case we didn't get it the first time, do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We have this picture in the previous verse where we're, we're to seek hospitality. We're go out and we're actually going to pursue with good intentions those who are in need in the city square, who need a place to stay, who need food for the night. What's fascinating is this word for persecute here is the exact same word as the word seek. I don't know what your, what your version says. In the, in the ESV, it's, it's seek to show hospitality. And, and then this is bless those who persecute you. Those who persecute you is the same word as seek to show hospitality. Rightly is translated persecute. But the fact that they're right next to each other, um, I, I think it, it gives the sense of this idea of pursuit. And Here's how it lays. It is we pursue others to show good intention to them, to show hospitality to them. What do we do with those who are pursuing us with bad intentions? How do we respond to them? Now, in my human nature, I know how I want to respond to them. And I know I have responded to them in the past too many times and probably will again in the future. Lord, have mercy. Um... As I was thinking through this, I had the, you guys have seen a movie or two in your life, I'm sure. Anyway, I, I got the picture of the guy with the bad haircut in No Country for Old Men. Uh, he was pursuing people with bad intentions on his mind. That's what this is picturing. Someone is pursuing you to persecute you. And in fact, the word curse there, it is, it is. The word curse is very much that idea. Well, I've got to finish this point in about two minutes. Uh, the word curse there is really much. The word curse is the word damn. And when you think about that word for just a minute, I'm sorry, I'm bringing a curse word here for us to think about for the moment, but it really what it is, it is bringing down, calling down from heaven. If you're doing it from a place with bad intentions on your heart and you are calling down from heaven to damn someone else, you're calling down upon the wrath of God to show disfavor against that person to the most extreme extent, and I am going to become the object 
and everything that I do of that person's damnation here on earth. I am going after them with bad intentions, and people are coming after us in that sense. Again, uh, Charlton Heston from the end of Planet of the Apes came to my mind with that, but uh, <laughs> saw the Statue of Liberty, and he was not happy. Uh, I don't want to give away the ending of the movie, but it's out, been out there a long time. Whoa, what are we supposed to do instead of that? What are we supposed to do? It's easy for want to curse that person back, to have bad intentions, it wells up in my heart. And, and what Paul says here is to bless twice, bless. Blessing is, is literally just the opposite. It is calling down the favor of God on someone else. It's calling down, God, will you be gracious and good to this person? Now, let me take a step further. May I be the, actually the agent of that blessing? Really hard stuff, right? So, start with the calling down. So, let's start with prayer. And as you lift that person up in prayer, as you spend time in prayer with that person in mind and bringing them before the Lord, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do what transform you from the inside out by faith, it will work itself out into you doing good to them. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's in the upcoming verses that are going to spend more time around that. But hopefully you remember the words of Jesus. Hopefully this connects you to the words of Jesus where he says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. If you only do good to those who love you, like, well, heck, everyone does that. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies, Okay. I guess I really needed about three or four weeks for these verses, John DeForest. Ah, boy. Um, all right, I'm sorry, but we're moving on. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. This may be, of the two, and of all the things in life, maybe the, one of the hardest things to actually live out. Rejoice with those who rejoice. On the surface, sounds easy enough. Somebody's happy, they're throwing a party. Let's go to the party. Have some fun. But it's deeper than that. To actually rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep takes us into the, into the deepest parts of our own humanity takes us in the deepest parts of others' uh, humanity. We spend our lives, maybe you've noticed, really every day with an ongoing comparison chart to just about every other person we see and meet and spend time with, and others' success if we allow it, their Facebook feed of their happy life, um, and I'm, I'm not knocking that because I post a lot of happy things on my Facebook page. But just trying to connect it to something very tangible. Um, others' success can <coughs> create in us uh, or connect <laughs> to our sinful nature of pride and envy and, uh, envy and jealousy and all that other kind of stuff rolls out of it. And... Um, we can become embittered. We can become embittered to friends that we've been with for a really long time. 
watching the success in their marriage or their family or their career. And it's really hard. It's really hard. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. There's a story of a prodigal son in this chapter, and some of you may have heard this story before. Some of you may have lived this story. I want to spend a little time in that story, but not around the prodigal son. But we can't understand what's going on in this story and going on in the heart of the prodigal son's brother unless we... Pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 15. And the parable of the prodigal son is actually the third parable in response to Jesus' interaction with certain people. It says this, the parable of the lost sheep. That's where it starts with. Verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Very interesting. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, who presumably are not sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes, what did they do? They grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Verse 3, so he told them this parable. In fact, he tells them three parables. He tells them a parable about a man who is a shepherd who has lost one sheep out of a hundred, and he goes out and he finds that sheep. Tells them a parable of a woman who has a coin, and she's lost the coin, and she searches and searches, and then she finds the coin. And then he tells them a parable, the third parable, if they haven't got the point by now of what we call the prodigal son story. And, and, and it starts with the fact that there was a man who had two sons, and if you know the story, the younger of them decides, hey, my dad's rich. I want to take advantage of that now. Dad, give me your money. Can I have it now? Dad says, okay. And if you recall the story, he goes out and he parties it up. He parties it up hard and eventually runs out of money. And he's eating with pigs. And in verse 17 of Luke chapter 15, I love this, I love this point where, where Jesus says, but when he came to himself, surrounded by pigs, he said, he said, because he knew the character of his father. He knew how his father treated even his own servants. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? This man cared for his servants. How many of these have more than enough bread? Uh, but I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned before you. In heaven, verse 19, at, at what place in your life do you get to where the next 
words you can utter. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, Father, I see how you treat your servants and you're good and you're gracious to them. Just, just treat me as one of your servants. I'll take that. And he rose, and this is just the amazing part. He rose, and he came to his father. Boy, his father off. If you've heard this before, his father sees him out there in the distance, and he runs. He runs to his son, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. And his son actually, actually makes the statement, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father <laughs> ignores his son's statement. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fattened calf. We are having a party like no other because my son who is dead is now alive. He was lost. He's now found. And they began to celebrate. The party began. And the party was so loud, <laughs> his, older, his older brother... His older brother's out there in the field and he hears the partying that's going on. And it says, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called to one of his servants and said, what's going on? He says, your brother, he's lost, he's been found, he's here, we're partying. And the older brother runs inside and he embraces his younger brother. It is so good to see you, brother. I'm so happy. Is that how the story goes? Oh, that's what my version says. I don't know. Uh, no, that's not what happens. It says, as you know the story, you know, hmm, he stands outside the party and he won't go in. He was angry and he refused to go in. He's not able to enter into the rejoicing that's going on. His heart was embittered. We know that. <laughs> Who's the Pharisee in this, in this uh, parable? His heart was embittered. His father came out and entreated him. His father, hey, come on, join the party. Come, celebrate, rejoice. He answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me anything. You didn't give me a goat. I never got a party to celebrate with my friends. But when my brother came home, is that what he says? When this son of yours, when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead. This, your brother, not my son, but this, your brother, was dead. He's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. 
the older brother <laughs> who, had, who had been in the presence of the Father all this time with access to the relationship with the Father had chosen to entrust himself and what he was doing. And he became entitled. He became embittered. Here's all the things I've done. Here's how I should be rewarded. I've lived a good life. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, but it hasn't turned out the way it was one plus one didn't equal two. And, and, and the embitterment was not just against his brothers, but against his, his father. That's where the true hate and spite is directed. He's not able to enter in. Who is the one rejoicing in this story? The father. Who is the one that's rejoicing? Who is the older brother not rejoicing with? Go back to the parable. The, 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 the shepherd goes out. He finds the one lost sheep. He carries the sheep home. And what does he say? He calls together everybody. He says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, Jesus, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's the rejoicing. The rejoicing is in the work of God because God has done it all in Jesus Christ. Daily, daily we have to enter into the gospel. That's what being transformed by the renewing of our mind is about. Daily we enter into Ephesians chapter 2. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins. I was a child of wrath. I entered into I was a child of wrath by everyone else. But God, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in His mercy with the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together in Jesus Christ. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. For by grace you have been saved. And not of works. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. When we, when we forget that, and it's really easy for those of us who have been Christians for any length of time, is to lose sight of that. Life unfolds. We, we come to Christ, there's great rejoicing, and then life goes on. And life does not turn out how we want it to turn out. It just doesn't. Some things turn out the way we like, but a lot doesn't. And if we allow ourselves to go into the hows and the whys, and how come that person is, and I'm, and, uh, and we become entitled and embittered, and we're not able to enter into the rejoicing of others. But Jesus, this is why this table is so significant, because every week we're invited to the table again. Every week there is this, there's this visible sign and seal of God's goodness and favor towards us of what He's done in Jesus Christ. We come to the table not on, based on anything that we have done, but based on what He has done. He has done it all. And, and I have to allow myself to enter into that over and over again, and that transforms me. And then I, who have received of the kindness of the Lord, I have received of the hospitality of the Lord, I who have been invited to the table freely, deservedly, and what Jesus Christ has done, and am able to live that out with you in my own life. Mike, i got to talk about weeping with those who weep for just a couple minutes. 
there's, there's weeping that's going on in this congregation right now. Uh, sisters have gone home to be with Jesus. There's weeping in other areas. How do we weep with those who weep? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we won't go there, but we receive of the comfort of God. We receive of the comfort of God so that we may be comforters to others in their need. Have you ever received comfort in your time of mourning, in your time of weeping? People have come alongside you and sat with you and been with you and prayed with you and loved you and blessed you. I can't enter into everyone's pain and mourning on Facebook, and God's not asking us to. I have to enter into those who obviously are close to me, and I have to be sensitive to the Spirit to enter into whoever He leads me to enter into. But I am, not, I am mortal, and so are you guys. Um, and it's real easy to feel like I got all this pressure to enter into everything you can't. You're human. But enter into the mourning of those who God leads you to enter into the mourning by all means. And again, that's why we have a body collectively to do this together. John chapter 11, and I'm going to finish here. John chapter 11. You can turn there with me. <laughs> Maybe another familiar story. In verse 1, it says a certain man was ill. And he's not just a certain man. This is Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her, her sister Martha. Jesus had a number of friends. Yes, he had the 12, the apostles, the 12 men who were the apostles. But he had a lot of other disciples who weren't apostles, but were disciples. He had a lot of other friends as well. And he had friendship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus is dying. And Jesus knows it. And he's going to let him die. Here's the deal. Jesus is going to let him die. Verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. Wait, I just said, I thought, I just, yeah, I did just say that. Uh, however, he is going to die, but it's for the glory of God because Jesus is going to do something. It says, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. He is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what's going to happen. He tells the disciples what's going to happen, but they're such blockheads. They still, and they're continued sort of deal. They still don't get it. Well, he's just asleep. Jesus is like, you guys are idiots. Uh, he's not just asleep. He's dead. Come on. And then Thomas says, all right, he's going to die. Let's go die with him. That's what he says. Some clarity in there now and then. Verse 17, now Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And if you know the story, Martha and Mary, they come out to greet him. And Martha comes out to greet him. And, and Jesus, because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead, and he's looking to call forth her faith, he's looking to be glorified. He's looking to call out her faith in him and the one who is, as he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It, 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 I don't want to over-speculate here, but there, there's some sense of it. Jesus' is, there's a Jesus is an interaction with Martha. is like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm in control. I, I know he seems dead, but he's really not. I, I, I'm, just trust me. Do you believe in the resurrection? I'm about to do something here. 
There's that kind of interaction that's going on. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, then Mary goes. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He was was deeply moved in his humanity. Jesus, the Word became flesh, took on human flesh, the truest man of true man. He took on human flesh, and he entered into our humanity. (laughs) I don't even know how to say it. More greatly, more beautifully, more completely, more deeply. Of any person who's ever lived, does Jesus know your suffering? Does Jesus know you're weeping greater than we could ever even realize? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So at the cross, he took upon himself all the suffering, all the pain, so that one day we would never suffer. One day that he would wipe away every tear. One day... He will rejoice over us. I said this last week at the marriage supper of the Lamb forever and ever. And what He calls from us, do you believe? Do you believe He is the Messiah? Do you believe He is the Son of God? Do you believe He is the conqueror of hell and sin and death and Satan? Do you believe He is the victor and the champion seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and He's coming again? in glory, to judge the living and the dead. And we will be with Him forever, world without end. Do you believe? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, ever. Amen and amen.